After nine soups with nine supervisors, we finally have a repeat soup order. We almost had a different repeat, but Supervisor Hillary Ronan has extremely high standards for her favorite. You would have been our second matzo ball soup had you chosen to go that route. Supervisor Mandelman had us get matzo ball soup from Wisons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> Ronan represents a part of town that primarily consists of the Mission District, as well as Bernal Heights and the Portola. She's spent years trying to tackle problems in these neighborhoods. Things like the perennial challenge of trying to keep the two Mission District BART plazas usable. It's left her frustrated. The root cause of these problems are fixable, but they're not always fixable at the local level. But in order to address the immediate safety concerns on the street, sometimes I have to address the symptoms of the problem without addressing the root causes. Today, why this termed-out supervisor says she feels split in two and where she sees the problems with local governance. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. Supervisor Hillary Ronan requested pho from a restaurant called Punjab for her soup. I hadn't been there, and I asked her why this was her favorite. Well... I'll be honest with you, it's not my favorite soup, but it is among my favorite soups. Problem with my favorite soup, which is matzo ball soup, which is what I grew up eating, is that they don't have good matzo ball soup made in a restaurant or store here in San Francisco. It's entirely problematic. But pho is my second favorite. Glad you chose it because I had a hankering for pho, especially yesterday after the windy day. So let's get into some non-soup questions. So how would you rate San Francisco right now? Like, how are we doing? What grade would you give San Francisco from like an A to an F? I say, oh, that's hard. I would say a C. That's about the grade everyone has given San Francisco as a whole. So interesting. And why, why a C? I think we've lost a lot of the people in the city who used to come with a vision of sort of generosity and being really proud about being the city that accepts the misfits from all over the country and wants to be the place that innovates and provides sanctuary to the poor. We've lost a lot of families of color. We've lost a lot of middle-class families. We've lost a lot of of our workforce. And so the people here just aren't the same. There's a lot, a lot of wealth. And with that wealth comes, I think, a different atmosphere. What brings up my grade is the natural beauty, some of the amenities like parks and libraries that are just second to none anywhere in the country. I you know, still think that there's a lot of activism, although no, not as much as when I when I first moved here. I was just curious, since you've been in the mission for such a long time and you've been involved in activism and in this supervisor's office for such a long time, even before you were elected. Such a long time. <laughs> I mean, the mission really went through a lot of changes. Now the entirety of San Francisco has been through a lot of changes. How is the mission changing now? The streets of the mission have gotten a lot worse post-pandemic or during and post-pandemic than they were beforehand. And why? I think it's a combination of 
you know, a lot of attention and crackdown in the Tenderloin. And so, you know, some of the street activity moved to the mission. I think it's ever increasing inequality and poverty all over the country that is happening everywhere. And it's, you know, pandemic sort of fast tracked some of the visibility of, of that poverty. And we now see it now worse than ever. I've lived in the mission the past year and um, even just walking up and down the street over this past year, things have changed a lot, especially at the BART Plaza where I go to and from work every day. When I remember my first time walking through the BART Plaza to get to work, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a maze. And now there's still a handful of people there and a handful of vendors there, but it's not as prominent as before. What do you attribute to that? Like, to me, is a drastic change, especially in the course of a year. I mean, we've been working every day nonstop to try to address the issue, and it's working. And the reason I'm not jumping for joy or sounding happy about hearing you say that there's these, what I think you would you would interpret as positive changes. I don't know. I'm curious. Do you interpret those as positive changes? I feel like it depends on who you talk to. I mean, for me, sure, it's easier for me to get down into the BART station and back out. But then I think about the the fact that I had talked to some of these vendors back in, it was probably April of last year, and some of them were telling us that like they felt like they were left out of this permitting process. There was one man who told us, like, I sell things that are donated to me and I I don't have proof of purchase for these things. Like how, how am I supposed to continue to sell these things that are my livelihood? So yeah, it can be a positive thing because of ease of access, but for some of these vendors, maybe it's bad for them. Sure. Well, I appreciate you not knowing how to answer that question in a way. And that's how I feel as the supervisor of the district because fixing that problem, which I decided needed to be fixed, had me split in two. And I spend most of my time split in two as supervisor of District 9, which quite frankly has made me really, really no longer like the job. And I'm really excited that I'm going to be done in a year and a half. And I am no longer going to run for office. I think our system is fundamentally broken and I want to go back on the outside and fight for reforms of the system. But let me tell you why I made the decision that I made to work extremely hard <laughs> to fix the problem <laughs> in, uh, in the BART stations. So, you know, the BART plazas got really bad maybe a year ago, a little over a year ago, when vendors who are mostly extremely poor, a lot of undocumented immigrants, were, you know, the bottom, bottom rung of a huge stolen goods market run by people that were earning a lot of money off of it. Many people were refusing to use the BART or the bus stop at the 24th Street BART because it felt overwhelming and really dangerous to go into that area. The majority of the vendors were being extorted by, you know, the higher ups in the in the stolen goods ring. And so, you know, that was extremely problematic. And then there were assaults, open air drug use and a murder at the 24th Street BART station. And that's unacceptable. 
And so I, you know, with the mayor's office, created this whole permitting system. I do want to say that if the goods aren't new, if it's like used clothes or, you know, any of that, you don't have to have proof of purchase. You can get a permit without it. And and this is how carefully I wrote this law to try to balance sort of the conflicting parts of me. The police aren't involved, so nobody's going to get arrested or thrown into jail or referred to ICE or, you know, have to deal with law enforcement in any way. The enforcers are DPW. We passed that law. We began enforcement. I had to fight with the city 500 million times to get more enforcement. The DPW workers were feeling unsafe enforcing the law because some of the vendors were very aggressive. And so they had to have the police accompany them. And so it was, again, a balancing act between trying to to make the area safe and allowing people that were not causing any harm to anyone. But because I know that the majority of people even selling the stolen goods are very low income and are struggling to survive in the city, it's never something I celebrate to participate in making their lives even more difficult than they are because life living in poverty is a nightmare. Can you tell me what you mean by your split in two? What do, what are the two Well, because split between? So, because I think that the conditions on the street have gotten to the point where they're very dangerous. And so, I absolutely have to step up and and do something to fix that. At the same time, because the root of the problems is poverty, inequality, racism, you know, our broken tax system, exploitation of workers, you know, segregation that still exists everywhere. So you're split between knowing that the problems are legitimate and knowing that the solutions sometimes harm the people that you really want to support? Well, knowing that it's essential that we fix the immediate conditions on the street because they're dangerous, but knowing that the solutions reside oftentimes beyond my reach, right? It's it's the the root cause of these problems are fixable, but they're not always fixable at the local level. But in order to address the immediate safety concerns on the street, sometimes I have to address the symptoms of the problem without addressing the root causes. And that's what has me split into and feeling unsatisfied, depressed, and bad a lot of the time. Okay. Well, that's alarming to hear from a city supervisor. Why do you say that the system is broken? What's broken about so our let system? So let me just, you know, I've been trying to get the whole city to read this book, Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. Because the true problems with the city are caused by poverty, and we don't ever talk about it. Everything that's happening in San Francisco right now is happening in every major city in this country. There's a perception that progressives control the city and that progressive policies have led to the situation on the streets today. But if you go anywhere to any major cities, you will find as many tent encampments as many people dying of fentanyl overdoses, as many substandard housing and slums and SROs that have, you know, the problems we we have here in San Francisco. But, I mean, we are up there on fentanyl overdose rates and our housing is extremely expensive as well as having on the low end these problems. And our downtown recovery is pretty bad, relatively speaking. The one thing I say that I could say is different is the downtown recovery. Other than that, I'll take you on. Like, you know, if anything, we're under the amount of homeless encampments compared to other major cities in this country. 
And the reason for that isn't because local politicians are progressive or not. It's because we have one in 18 people in the United States of America living in deep poverty. We're going to move on rather than going into detail on this, but I looked up some stats and she's right that San Francisco isn't the worst on a lot of these metrics. It doesn't have the highest homelessness rate or the biggest homeless population. It is in the top 10, but not high up. On drug overdoses, a Drexel University brief put San Francisco in 11th place among big cities. Baltimore's rate of deadly overdoses per 100,000 people is more than twice ours. So it sounds like you're talking about our national system being broken. 100%. Okay, so you don't mean like our local system of governance is broken. Well, I believe there's some problems with our local system, but I don't believe that our local system is at the root cause of the problems that we're seeing in the streets. And we're being asked to take on and tackle some of these problems that really come and have their roots in much bigger national dysfunctions. Yeah, and, and we're all part of it. It's the system we live in. So mm-hmm. it's it's dual responsibility. The The problem is you have to fix the tax code. So let me, let's talk about the tax code for a minute, okay? Okay, but only a minute because we are talking about our city generally. Yeah, but see, this is the problem, Laura. It, yes, we are talking about the tax code with national, but the tax code is one of the causes of the misery that we're seeing in the streets. What I'm telling you is that The political system in the United States is broken, but it's broken on the local level as well. How? We'll get to that after a break. Laura and I have been talking with District 9 Supervisor Hillary Ronan. She just said that the national political system is broken, but there are problems in our own backyard as well. You know, the the politicians that want to get ahead and do get ahead and the the way that they do that is often by, you know, doing the media work that makes them look good, not necessarily doing the work that's in the best benefit of the residents of San Francisco. And I think that's true at the local level, just like it is at the state and at the federal government and the fact that money controls so much of who gets elected because these elections are so expensive, et cetera. Glad you brought that up. You're talking about, you know, serving your constituents and also the cost of running an election. Our system of election, I think, is related to both of those things because we have the district elections rather than at large. And I'm wondering how you balance those interests as a district supervisor. Yeah, you know, in my first term, I felt like I was able to do that better than in my second term, mostly because the streets weren't as bad, right? And then when the pandemic happened, it it got extremely bad. Yeah. I mean, one thing that makes me think of this is the tiny home cabin Mm -hmm. shelters in the mission. Great example. They're talking about a proposed shelter site that would have shared a fence with an elementary school. Residents said that made it a no-go. Ronan said at the time she wouldn't support the site being installed unless she could look residents in the eye and say with certainty that these sites would be safe. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, so why aren't they safe? Well, because every single navigation center or safe sleep site that has come into the mission has had mayhem in front of it. And I fought a lot of neighbors that were opposed to those centers and fought to bring them into the neighborhood by saying this is going to make the neighborhood better than when it got here. And 
you could argue either side of it, but because you can see the visual problems right directly in front. This morning on the way to work, I went to chat with the gentleman in front of 1515 South NS who is literally encamped with tons and tons of his belongings right in front of a safe sleep site. And I have said to the Department of Homelessness, the Department of Public Health, to HSOC, to DPW, I said, you know, we have tons of tools at our disposal. You have hundreds, if not thousands of employees to work with. Show me <laughs> that you can, there's this gentleman in front of 1515 South NS, and then there's a couple. Show me that you can work with them and get them to move to a different place. They haven't been able to do it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm testing out the city's ability to do its job. And so far, they're getting an F on that front. And to the point that, you know, I'm like many things trying to take it on myself. You know, I'm, I'm going to go there every morning and talk to the individual and try to get him housed and out there myself. Literally, this is what my office has had to do in order to get most things moving in the city. And this is where I do feel like there is some mismanagement at the local levels. There's some mismanagement happening, you know, from room 200, the mayor's office. And I, while I've worked a lot with some of her staff to try to fix these problems and, and I have enjoyed working with her staff and I do believe that they care. I, I just think that there's, there's a lack of a, of an overall vision and that it's hard to want to stay or do a good job because it doesn't really matter if you do a good job or a bad job because you're just going to get negativity and no matter what you do. And I, I feel like that's the overall feeling in, in the city right now amongst departments. And, and that's really about management. It's about lifting people up and, and keeping their enthusiasm for making their city better better up and faking it till you make it, you know, and, and I've, I have to do that all the, all the time. I guess I'm not faking it in this interview <laughs> at all, but that's because I, you know, I think it's important as I'm on my way out. I definitely think that the city is in one of its worst, worst spaces that it's ever been and that it needs a new kind of, uh, management and, 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 and some, some real vision and, uh, and skills to motivate um, and excite city staff to, 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 to fight through it and to continue to work to make the city a better place. I want to ask real quick, you were one of the very few of us who made a lot of noise about leaving Twitter to actually leave Twitter. Um, <laughs> how's that going for you? Great. It's the best <laughs> thing I ever did. I really recommend everyone leaving Twitter. It, it I, is a very public way to reach you. Like people, I think people feel that their emails kind of can go into a black hole and disappear. I answer every email that I get. Huh. It takes a lot of time, but I think it's important. And I really do feel like I, I, I have a good sense of what's going on because I do that. So our project, the SF Next project, did a survey of San Francisco residents last summer. Only about 12% of respondents, and this is all of San Francisco, not just Chronicle readers, mm -hmm. but they said 12% said that the Board of Supervisors is doing a good or excellent job. What is your response to that? I mean, you know, first of all, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the job of members of the Board of Supervisors are. Or, or, or I should say what our power is. We literally only have the ability to write laws, hold hearings to get information, 
and ultimately approve of the budget and move a small amount of the $14 billion annual budget around. Oh, and helping, you know, resolve constituent issues, right? Those, those are our job, but we don't have power. We can advocate and department heads take us seriously, but they don't have to. So for example, recently when, you know, finally I had to ask the police to actually walk a beat and do a footbeat at the BART stations at night when the DPW staff left, I had asked them to, to do that job for about a year. They just said, sorry, we're under staff. We're not going to do it. And when they came to the board for the $25 million overtime supplemental, even though I, I think they mismanaged their funds and I didn't want to give it to them, I said, I'll vote for it if you will put two footbeat officers at 24th and 16th Street BART stations seven days a week from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. And they said, okay, we'll do it. That's not how the city should work. Sorry, I know we have to close up. You asking the police, like, we really need you at these sites, I think got picked up on by a lot of people who also saw you say that, you know, we need to get rid of police, we need to defund police. So what, how do you square that circle? There's nothing contradictory about saying both of those things at the same time. What I said is that I, okay, over time in our society, as we eliminated the social safety nets, and as we, we did that, we put all these jobs on the police that were previously done by other types of professionals. It's the job of the police right now in our society to prevent crime, address crime, and investigate crime. And I, I believe we don't have an alternative to that right now. And so they have to continue doing that and we have to keep funding them to do that. But they should not be dealing with homelessness, which is not a crime. They should not be dealing with mental illness, which is not a crime. Drug addiction, which is not a crime. Drug sales is another story, but drug addiction. And I was very for before, and I continue to be for now, defunding the police when they're doing those jobs and transferring that money to the health department, to the homeless department, to the human services agency department. Now, I can believe that and fight for that, which I did and do and will, and believe that the police are still needed to address crimes, true crimes. And those two things are not in conflict with one another. In fact, they're incredibly consistent. And so Fox News can put two statements together out of context and make it look like I'm being contradictory. And then Twitter can go nuts about it. But, but you're not there anymore. But so I'm not fine. there anymore. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay. All right. Lightning round. Lightning um, round. Okay. Brought up Twitter again now that you're no longer on it. What keeps you up at night? This issue of, you know, dealing with the symptoms of poverty and potentially making the lives worse of poor people when you deal with symptoms instead of addressing root causes. Is there a policy or an idea brought up by someone you generally disagree with on the board that you actually thought was a really good idea? Oh, yeah, all the time. You know, I, or I, it's a complicated idea, but this idea of shelter for all from Supervisor Mandelman, who I often disagree with, I, I think there's something there. All right. And the last question, if you had magical powers, you could do anything you ever wanted, wave a magic wand, you're queen of San Francisco, what would you fix? Oh, poverty. But, you know, I couldn't do that alone in San Francisco. 
I would use all of my queen powers to work with my federal delegation and to do a campaign to make sure that the feds start engaging in building affordable housing again and fix our tax code so that it, it helps families more than corporations. I would fix our public schools and spend a lot more money on our public schools, work with our governor to, you know, really try to repeal Prop 13, which ruined California public education. Ta-da! <laughs> I love it. Thank you for talking with us. Thank you. That was District 9 Supervisor Hillary Ronan. And this was our second-to-last Soup with the Soups. We also have some news. Late June will mark a full year of episodes, and it's time for this podcast to wind down. It's been a great year, and we've learned a lot, but it's time for us to conclude the show. We've dived deep into some of the city's biggest challenges and different ideas for fixing our city. We'll continue discussing San Francisco's most pressing problems and ideas for solving them under the banner of the Chronicle's flagship show, Fifth and Mission. That's where I'm headed. But we won't leave without finishing soup with the soups. Next week, we head to District 3. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. Coming up on SF Next Fixing Our City, Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin took on that role in a somewhat unexpected way, but he has practice with it. We'll talk about how he's seen the city come together in troubled times. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext. <laughs>